Currently, we are in a teaching series titled Come and Stay. And our goal through this series, in the midst of a society that can be flaky and flighty, in a culture that is always on the go and looking for the next best thing, we as a church, we wanna be a people who uh, take Jesus up on his invitation, his offer to come and stay, to sit and linger in his presence, abiding in him. We want, to be, we want to be a people who live life with God and from God and for God in that order. And all of this is based out of kind of two texts that are like our pillars for this series that we see as complementary to one another. The first being John 15, where Jesus says, abide in me and you will bear fruit. And Galatians 5, where the apostle Paul says that the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And each week this fall, we're taking time to really just examine and contemplate and linger in each of these aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, just one at a time, particularly as we see them on display in the character of God. Because if they are the fruit of the Spirit, that is the Spirit of God, then they must first and foremost be true of God before they're formed in us by his spirit. And so this week, we're looking at the patience of God, picking back up where we left off two weeks ago. I grew up in the church. That's my background, that's my context and my experience. And growing up in the church context that I did, I always had this underlying feeling that God was patient. And by that, I mean that I always felt like God was patiently waiting for me to mess up. That God was like a lion on the hunt, just ready to pounce at me for my sin. Or that God was like a spring-loaded mousetrap just waiting for me to come and take the delicious cheese so he could snap down in swift justice. And while what I, that picture I just gave might be a little bit of a caricature, I don't think it's too far off from the ways that we sometimes think about God. And I think a lot of you have probably felt what I just talked about in some degree or maybe you even carry some degree of that, a lesser version, or maybe not even a lesser version, around with you in the back of your mind all the time. And because we carry this around with us, it infects the way that we think about God and his heart towards us, which obviously infects our heart towards him and the ways that we interact with him. Because, I mean, who really wants to spend time with someone who is always ready to pounce at every little fault that they see in someone? Like, being around such person is like walking on eggshells. Do you guys, have you all ever known anyone like that? Someone in your family or a friend or something that, like, whenever you're around them, you're just kind of on edge waiting for them to complain or nag about something at your expense. It's definitely not the picture of a patient person. 
Peter was one of Jesus' disciples and best friends. He walked closely with the physical Jesus for years, and Peter also wrote a little bit of the New Testament. And while Peter didn't write much of the New Testament, I think some of what he wrote, I think he wrote some of the most like potent scriptures about the patience of the Lord. I think that's because Peter, he like knew from personal experience the patience of the Lord. And so this morning, I just want to tell you guys the story of Peter and Jesus and see the patience of God working through the life of Peter. And so that's, that's what we're going to do this morning. Peter first met Jesus on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Peter was a fisherman, and he had just finished a lousy night of fishing where they had caught nothing, him and his guys. And they were on, their shore, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee cleaning their nets. And not too far away on the shore, there was this new rabbi named Jesus who was teaching a crowd that kept creeping in closer and closer on him, wanting to hear the word of God that this Jesus had to preach. And eventually, Jesus, he was feeling this need for some personal space as this crowd just kept inching closer and closer. And he saw Peter on the shore not too far away with a boat. And he said, hey, can you take me out on your boat just a little bit so I can have like my personal space while I teach to this crowd? And Peter obliges. He takes Jesus out just a little bit into the water and Jesus teaches the crowds from the boat. And after Jesus finishes teaching, he tells Peter, hey man, I know you had a lousy night fishing, but put out into deeper waters and let down your net. Like, just, just trust me on this one. And I imagine Peter, the fisherman in this scenario, just kind of looked at Jesus with one of those, like, just looked at him, like, indignantly a little bit, like, just maybe for a half second, like, dude, really? Like, okay, uh, he says, Master, we've been fishing all night, and we've caught nothing. They're not biting, man. Like, it's just, it's not happening. But since you say so, I will. And so they set out into the deeper waters of the Sea of Galilee, and they let down their nets, and they end up catching so many fish, like immediately, that their nets cannot even handle the weight of this load as they bring it in. The nets begin to break under the sheer weight of these fish. And they end up filling two boats full of fish, so full that as they are making their way back into shore, the boats are actually sinking the whole way in. And once they reach the shore, Peter drops down to his knees in front of Jesus. He says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He realizes he's just seen a miracle and that this guy, therefore, he's not just a teacher, but he is a man of God. And he bends down on his knees and tells him, depart from me. But Jesus tells him, like, Peter, get up. Do not be afraid. Follow me. Come with me. 
And so Peter does. He, he drops his nets then and there, and he leaves everything to follow Jesus. But Peter, just like you and me, although he's decided to follow Jesus, is not perfect. Although uh, throughout their years together, during Jesus' ministry, Peter, I mean, Peter says some of the most brilliant things of all the disciples, and he also says some of the most foolish things of all the disciples. At times, Peter is a hero, and at other times, Peter is a failure. Peter's human, but he desperately loves Jesus. Fast forward from that moment on the Sea of Galilee where they first met three years later uh, to the night that Jesus is arrested and put on trial. Just before that takes place, Jesus, he's hanging out with his disciples, all, all 12 of his like, inner circle of disciples, and he tells them, like, you're all gonna leave me tonight. You're all gonna scatter like sheep. And he looks at Peter and he tells him, Simon, Simon, which is Peter's real name. Peter's a nickname that Jesus gave him. But he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded for you in prayer, Simon, that your faith should not fail. And so when you've repented and returned to me again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter says, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you, to even die with you. And Jesus, he just looks at him and says, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows this morning, or tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you ever even knew me. And after this moment, Jesus, he has that famous time in the garden where he prays that prayer in Gethsemane of, Lord, take this cup, but not my will, but yours. And he is arrested by a crew that comes to arrest him and taken to the high priest's house in Jerusalem. And Peter, in the dark of the night, he follows this group that's arrested Jesus at a distance, kind of sneaking behind, watching them as they make their way. And once they arrive at the high priest's home, this group, they begin to kindle a fire in the courtyard to sit around and waste time. And they begin to settle around it. And Jesus is probably being held just a few yards away from this fire probably bound and guarded by a few guys, potentially even already being beaten and abused on some level. If not physically, then probably verbally or psychologically. And they wait to go on trial. And it's here in, as this fire is being kindled and as these people are settling in this courtyard to wait for morning that Peter slips in unnoticed among the group. And he sits around this fire with Jesus' captors because he wants to stick close to Jesus. He's keeping him in eyesight there. He doesn't want to leave his rabbi, his master. And it, but it doesn't take long for one of the servant girls in the crew to recognize Peter. And she says, like, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? And surely feeling pretty panicked about being found out as an imposter and as one of his followers, he quickly denies, claiming, woman, I do not know him. 
slowly the tension releases. Because you can imagine with that accusation that probably the conversations died down and everyone was probably really intently looking at Peter for his response, right? But the tension releases, the other conversations begin to pick back up. But a few minutes later, and another guy joins the circle around the fire and he sees Peter and points him out. He's like, aren't you one of his guys? And again, the conversations die down and a little bit more confidently, Peter, this time, he assures the guy that like, hey, we just settled this just a moment ago. I know you weren't here, but no, I don't know him. I'm not one of his disciples. And as before, the conversations begin to pick back up, but this time, the tension doesn't totally settle out. An hour goes by, and the first signs of dawn begin as the sky ever so slightly begins to lighten. And Peter can see others whispering and glancing at him. And so he tries to act normal because he doesn't want to be separated from Jesus sitting just over there. And so he begins to contribute to the greater conversation here, throwing in a comment here and a comment there. But Peter's accent betrays him. They pick up on his Galilean accent, what for you and I might be a a little twang to his voice or a drawl, pointing him out as someone from a different region. And so one of the guys says, certainly this man was with him for he's a Galilean. And more bold and more desperate this time, Peter retorts for the third time around that fire, man, I do not know what you're talking about. But before the last words even leave Peter's lips, the rooster crows, signaling the morning and the fulfillment of Jesus' words that Peter would deny him three times. And Jesus, it says, turns and looks at Peter. And I can imagine them locking eyes and Jesus looking at Peter with that, with a just like a knowing look marked with a heartbroken kind of half smile. Eyes just dripping with compassion, no judgment, a little hurt and a lot of knowing. And it's in that moment that Peter remembers the words of Jesus from earlier that night, that before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And the text says that Peter, overcome with grief, he gets up from around the fire and goes outside and he wept bitterly. I mean, this is probably just a nasty cry, sobbing. They probably heard it inside the courtyard. Peter probably has snot just running down his nose as he's heartbroken. And over the course of the next day, Jesus is put on trial and crucified. And Peter is absent for it all. He's not there. In fact, the only disciple that was present for those moments was John. All the others, they were hiding confused, scared, what's going on? And you can imagine the guilt and shame and grief that Peter was carrying around with him after that moment, after that night, 
denying and abandoning Jesus to his death. And one night, after Jesus had risen from the dead, well, before this, actually. So then we know how the story goes from there, right? Jesus arises on the third day. Peter and John have a friendly little race to the tomb to make sure that Mary's not a liar. They see the empty tomb. And then Jesus, the risen Jesus, appears to all the disciples. And then the story continues. We don't know how much later down the road this is, but one night after those moments, after Jesus had risen from the dead, Peter He tells some of the other disciples, like, hey, I'm going fishing. I'm going back to what I know. Any of y'all want to come with me? And a handful of them are like, yeah, we'll go with you. And so they go out and they spend the night fishing. Peter, back to what he had done before he knew Jesus. And all night long, the disciples, they fished and they caught nothing. And just as day was beginning to break, they saw on the shore about a hundred yards away, a man standing on the shore who calls out to them like, hey, you have any fish? And they respond, no. (laughs) And then the man on the shore, he he yells back, why don't you cast your nets on on the right side of the boat? to which I'm sure they all kind of collectively roll their eyes and they're like, what is with people telling fishermen how to fish? (laughs) But there's something in them that beckons them to listen to this nonsensical instruction from this stranger on the shore. And so they cast their nets like he tells them. And as they go to pull it in, they cannot even lift the net up into the boat because of the amount of fish. And John recognizes what's going on. And he taps Peter on the shoulder and goes like, dude, it's Jesus. To which Peter immediately jumps out of the boat and swims the hundred yards back to shore through that cold lake. Peter emerges from the cold gloom of a sunrise swim, dripping wet into the warmth and light of a fire where Jesus is already cooking a breakfast of fish and bread over the coals of a fire. And Jesus invites him to sit down and to share a meal with him. And after they finished eating breakfast, sitting around that fire on the shore, in the cool of the early morning air, Jesus looks at Peter and he asks him, Peter, do you love me? To which Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know I love you. It's quiet for a moment. And again, Jesus asks, Peter, do you love me? And Peter again, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And a third time, Jesus asks, Peter, do you love me? And this time, Peter is grieved that Jesus has had to ask him three times 
if he loves him. In the wound of that night where he denied Jesus sitting around another fire is rent open in his soul and all the grief and shame and pain comes flooding back in that moment and he responds, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And Jesus tells him, follow me. Jesus wasn't playing mind games with Peter. He was reconciling with Peter for Peter's sake. It was through the symbols of fish and fire that Jesus was recreating two key moments in their story that was communicating something deeper to Peter than words could have. He was allowing Peter to relive the moments of their first meeting and the moments of those three denials around the fire and allowing him to make three confessions around this new fire to let Peter know, we're good. It's a story of reconciliation, but also underneath that, there is this deeper current of the patience of God that leads to reconciliation and healing. The reality is that the first time they stood on that shore, three years earlier, and Jesus had told Peter, follow me, he knew how their relationship was gonna play out. He knew Peter wasn't perfect. He knew Peter was gonna fall short and mess up. He knew Peter was gonna deny him. But Jesus is patient. He was patient with Peter and was never put off by Peter's humanity and sinful nature. Christ, he longed to see Peter grow in maturity, to receive healing and wholeness. And he knew from the beginning all that that journey would entail from day one. We tend to think of ourselves as generally good people who trip up once in a while and sin and fall short. When in reality, our sin is more like a disease that infects our whole person. A disease that God sees, that God, the great physician, sees and has compassion on that he longs to see healed and that he desires to walk with you through and guide you through the long, slow healing process of that disease of the soul called sin. He knows you're sick. He knows how to heal you. And he knows how long the journey to wholeness can take and does take. And he knows you cannot manage it on your own. He is more than willing to endure that journey with you through to the very end. You see, God is patient. Some translations, they actually translate that word that in the Greek that is sometimes translated patience as long-suffering, which means to have patience in spite of troubles caused by other people. I like that definition, it's a good one. God is 
long suffering in seeing the whole of his creation nursed back to health, and that includes you, my friend. Christ was patient and long-suffering with Peter, not just in the moment of his denial and in the reconciliation, but through all of the years together, through many ups and downs, all the while knowing everything that was ahead. Jesus knew that three years later, he would stand on that same shoreline with Peter and have him relive the moment that they met in the moment Peter denied him so that Jesus could show Peter his patience, his long suffering in order to heal certain deep wounds in his soul and draw Peter in closer to himself. God isn't patiently waiting for you to mess up so that he can bring the hammer down. He is long-suffering with us in spite of our sins so that he can heal us of it and draw us closer into him. He isn't patient just because he can endure. He endures for our own sake. He's not just patient with us, he's patient for us. So that he may begin to bring about healing to that deep disease of our soul and restore his creation. Now, a big part of this series that we're doing is to simply not just have myself or Josh and our teaching team like teach you guys and tell you about the character of God, but to invite you guys to meditate on it, to sit in the reality of it in the presence of God himself. Love it. So we're gonna take the next 10 minutes together to just meditate on this story and on the long suffering and patience of God. I'm gonna invite you guys, like make yourself comfortable here in this space. I know there's a lot of us, we're packed in here, but if you need to kneel, kneel. If you need to stand, stand. If you need to lay down, lay down. Just don't fall asleep. Uh, if you need to come sit up in this area or in the back, like make yourself at home. Do what you need to do. And we're gonna play some instrumental music and give you guys space just to sit with the Lord and to reflect on his patience. I'm gonna invite you guys to imagine yourself as Peter sitting around that campfire with the resurrected Jesus? Where do you believe that he couldn't possibly be patient with you through? And ask him about that if you're feeling brave. Ask what he says about that place where you're not even patient with yourself. Let's go ahead, get comfortable, do whatever you need to do. And as you guys settle, um, I'm going to invite you guys to close your eyes if that's helpful for you to connect with God. And settle in and take a few deep breaths. That helps, it scientifically like helps calm your nervous system and reset it. And sit with the Lord and contemplate his patience. I'll be back up here in 10 minutes to... Uh, lead us into the next part of our morning together.